Welcome to episode 56 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Elena Luciani. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today, finally, by Elena Luciani. Elena, how are you? I'm good. I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited to chat. Yes, as am I. Like, uh, like you know, we were just talking about before, Elena and, I, Elena and I have some common friends, some guys that I worked very closely with over the past couple of years and some guys that are very close in your life and you went to school with and, and kind of, uh, you know, have grown together in this industry. So it's great to finally make this connection. Yeah, absolutely. I know. That's the beauty of social media, though. It brings you to people that are probably connected in a common way, but, you know, that you have a lot in common with. So I'm excited that we're having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's weird that like Toronto is a pretty big city. Like it's you know obviously one of the bigger ones in North America, but at the same time, it's really not that big because so many people know so many people, or everyone you know is like, hmm, I don't know that person, but I know someone who knows them. Yeah, when you go to someone's page and it's like followed by, and it's like some of your best friends, you're like, hmm, how is this connected? But I really believe in six degrees of separation. I think that we really are all connected in some capacity. And especially in a city, I just feel like I'm constantly running into people I know on the street that, you know, turns out they're my next door neighbor. Just crazy things like that happen that I'm like, yeah, we're definitely all connected. Yeah, yeah. That that especially happens a lot in Toronto. Anyways, like you just walk around and again, so many millions of people, but you just bump into people, you know, all the time. Like it, it's so weird how it happens. And I guess geographically, maybe it's not that large, like there's not that many streets kind of thing. And so it, it kind of makes sense when you think of it that way. But it's still impressive that you can bump into people, you know, just randomly walking among millions of people. I know. I love it. You know what? It's comforting. I think it's comforting. Have you lived in Toronto your whole life? Did you grow up in Toronto or did you grow up outside of Toronto? So I grew up just outside Toronto in Oakville and I would have moved to Toronto just over four years ago, I think. So I lived in Waterloo. I went to university. Uh, I went to Laurier with, you know, our kind of mutual friends. That's where we all met. So I lived there for actually seven years, five years as a student athlete, and then two years as the head strength coach. So I worked for two years and then moved home for a summer, moved to Ohio for my master's, moved home for, I think it was a year and a half before moving to the city. So I've been kind of all over the place, but it's all kind of contributed to my journey. So I'm happy to be located in Toronto now. And and do you think that like downtown is home for you, like for the next, say, like five, 10 years or, or are you up to moving out? And um, it's interesting you ask that because I used to live right in the downtown core with my partner. We were right in City Place. And when we were there, it very much felt temporary. We thought, this is great for now, but we'll probably move to the suburbs when we buy. And we actually made our way out to the East End and moved uh, just over a year ago to Leslieville. And as soon as we got here, we thought, okay, Toronto is now home. So I think we just needed to find the right area. And now that we have, we actually just messaged a realtor yesterday. So we are looking to buy in the next couple of years. And yeah, we're hoping it's going to be in the East End of Toronto. Well, well, good luck with that. And and I think that it kind of makes sense though, because that East End is a little bit more neighborhoody than like big tall skyscrapers like you're basically right beside downtown but not right in the in the craziness of things so it makes a lot of sense yeah so it's like you kind of get the best of both worlds you're close enough to be you know in the downtown scene but then we also have green space and parks and you know we have local coffee shops and they know us by name like that to me just means so much so i'm really happy we found our way out here 
Yeah, that was one of the biggest things, the green space that I missed when I lived downtown for a couple of years was I kind of, I guess I took it for granted you know, growing up in the suburbs that there's, you know, a huge forest, like just across the street from, from my house and like everyone has big backyards and there's trees everywhere and all this stuff. And I didn't really realize it. I always used to think, you know, these city people and, and their cottages, like they're obsessed with going to the cottage and I could never understand it. Like, sure, it's fun, but like, why are you so obsessed with going to the cottage until I lived downtown? I was like, oh, that's why it's because they never see trees. <laughs> You're like, ah, nature, being outdoors. That's why. Okay. Yeah. 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 It makes, makes a lot of sense when you, when you start to think about it, but, but it's good. That's all, that's all very exciting stuff. And you got married recently. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And a big milestone. And we did it in the nick of time before any restrictions came back into place. So we're very fortunate. Yeah. Time between the restrictions. And I'm sure it's, it was a quite a roller coaster just to get to that day. So <laughs> oh, yeah, but it was well worth it. So yeah. Awesome. So at Laurier, you played basketball. That was your main sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I played basketball for four years and then in my fifth year, I actually switched and played lacrosse for a year. And what was that transition like? Cause I mean, I guess spacing and, and like timing and just like general, you know, shape of the game is similar, but obviously mechanics are very different. You know, interestingly enough, there's actually a lot of overlap between basketball and lacrosse. So I actually picked up lacrosse when I went to a prep school in Massachusetts for a year between high school and university. And I think because of my ability as a basketball player, it transferred really well into lacrosse. So yes, it definitely took a lot of time to get the the mechanics down and the stick handling and, and, you know, it, just using very different kind of muscles and parts of my brain to kind of figure things out. But it was something that I really enjoyed. And so I went into Laurier, I, again, basketball, it was my first and always will be kind of my my first love when it comes to sports but I, I had an interesting kind of journey with basketball and it really started to affect my mental health for a couple of different reasons and I still love the sport and I would have have loved to have played a fifth year but it just with you know kind of where I was at I I just needed a kind of change of environment and I still wanted to be involved in varsity athletics and I'm fortunate to you know to have the skill set to have been able to play on the lacrosse team. And it just really reminded me of why we play sports. I think I went, I kind of reverted back to young Elena playing sports for fun and it being a game. And I think with basketball, I just started to put almost too much pressure on myself that it took away my love for the game. Right. And um, yeah, so, and that's actually a story I, I don't talk about a lot and, and perhaps, you know, I'll, I'll start to open up about it because I know there are other athletes that feel the same way, but yeah, lacrosse was just, it was fun. It was so much fun to play and it was a bit of a shorter season. So um, I had the opportunity to work with some of the athletes actually that I played with in second semester as their strength and conditioning coach. And that's what kind of snowballed into my role at Laurier. Right. And was that kind of your, your plan to enter into the like SNC coaching or, or did it just sort of happen organically? Yeah. So it was in about my second year that I got my first taste of kind of strength and conditioning and working with high performance athletes. So I got a job at a training facility in Burlington. So throughout my summers, I would work there with the athletes and then kind of go back to school. And I was a personal trainer at the athletic complex. So I was able to kind of continue that, that training role. And it wasn't until kind of in that fifth year that I was approached by someone in the athletics department that said, Hey, we have a couple teams interested. We know that you're kind of doing this on the side and this is the, the career path you want to 
kind of continue on with, is this something you're interested in? So I started with women's rugby and women's lacrosse. And soon after it was men's basketball and men's hockey. So by the end of my fifth year, I was working with four of the varsity teams. And then I had a very unique opportunity to actually put together a business plan and proposal for the strength and conditioning program at Laurier. And I pitched it to the athletics department and it was just, I guess, looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, it was my first kind of business proposal. Like, that's kind of cool. And I must have said something right because they hired me and actually, you know, re-signed me for a second year on top of that contract. It was a wonderful experience. I wouldn't trade any of it, but I also would never recommend one strength (laughs) coach working with over 500 athletes. Yeah. Like I said, I wouldn't change anything about it. I learned so much. I worked with men's football, women's soccer, women's hockey, men's hockey. Like I I was able to work with so many different athletes, so many different teams, but it is no job for one individual. And it really, really started to affect my mental health. And I went through kind of a serious bout of burnout. And that's actually what led me to make the decision to leave Laurier and pursue my master's. So, I mean, I think everything in our journey kind of has a place and I don't wish that on anyone. It was a big learning experience for me, but at the same time, as I mentioned, I I learned so much from it. So I really wouldn't trade it. Right. That seems like a a common element to a lot of successful strength coaches and trainers or whatever title you want to give us is that, you know, we go through this period of like, you know, I went all in, I was doing, you know, a hundred hours in the gym, training a million athletes and doing all the things. And I did it all by myself and I barely slept. And you know, the story goes on and everyone says the same thing. I would never recommend anybody else do this. However, I, you know, I made it through it. It hurt me a lot. I made it through and it gave me all this good stuff that this experience and, and this knowledge and, and some good times of that came for sure. I'm sure you had some great times training those athletes as, as many and, and maybe more than, than the bad times. Uh, but, but it, it kind of, it makes you stronger, right? It's like that, that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. You take all that experience and, and go forward into everything else that you've done since then. Yeah. And I, I do think the narrative is starting to shift a little bit, especially in strength and conditioning, because when I first got into it, it was like a badge of honor to not sleep. And I <laughs> don't, I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I was like, I got to pay my dues. Like I got to be in the trenches. Like this is just the way it is. And in, in some ways, I do believe that you should put in the time. And I'm not saying that that's 100 hours a week. It could very well be, you know, a 40-hour work week in, in some capacity or, you know, give or take a couple hours. I don't think you need to burn out and need to be exhausted. But I do think it's important that you get your hands dirty. And I do think it's important that you work with real humans and work with a variety of different people and maybe work with people that you don't really want to work with because then it teaches you the type of person that you do want to work with um, or working with different coaches. And there's just so much that you learn from kind of, as I said, kind of getting your hands dirty. I don't think you have to do it at that capacity, but I am starting to see a little bit of a shift in, in some kind of big time strength coaches talking about how important it is to take care of your mental health and how, you know, you don't always have to be at the gym at 5am and leave at 9pm. And that's why, you know, more schools, especially in the collegiate sector are dedicating more funding and more money and more resources to the high performance area, to the high performance team, to allow for more coaches to be there. So that allows coaches to actually take time off or, you know, maybe only work 10 hours instead of 16 hours, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm hoping that continues to shift because I think 
it worries me to see some young coaches be like, I got to pay my dues and I got to do this. And, Oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I'm so cool because I don't sleep. And I'm like, actually that's terrible. Like if there's <laughs> one thing I prioritize, it's my sleep. So it's, it's again, just shifting that narrative and it's not like the hustle and the grind. Yeah. There are, there's going to be a time and place for that, but it doesn't have to be forever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I think funding comes into play a lot of this because if there's only one strength coach to oversee 500 plus athletes that's mm -hmm. too many but if there's one strength coach overseeing the program and then there's you know five or six or however many other coaches in underneath not underneath not like a hierarchy but whatever underneath totally. to, to mm -hmm. actually do the coaching then then it gets spread out a lot more and then you can work as a system and as a team to to make that the best for everyone and at the same time as as much as we think that we're working so hard when we're putting in all those hours and not sleeping and we are working so hard there's no way that on that 90th hour of work in the week that you're giving the the same level of quality coaching as you're giving in the fifth hour of the week. And we think that we are, but we, but if you step back and look at it, there's no way it's possible. Yeah. I think that's such a good kind of reflection because again, it goes back to having that badge of honor being like, well, I put in all these hours this week, but then it's like the athletes that you see on Friday evening are getting the kind of crappy end of the stick in comparison to the athletes you see on Tuesday morning. And again, it's not intentional. It's not like right. you're trying to do that, but that naturally happens when you start to kind of pack your schedule. And, you know, I, when I went and did my master's at Ohio university, I look back on my days now and I'm like, Oh my goodness, how the heck did I go through? Like I would wake up at 3.45 and go to bed at, you know, 9.30, 10 p.m. But like every hour was accounted for. But I think the difference there, because I was actually reflecting on it the other day is, yes, I was in the weight room for a good portion of that time, but I was also teaching classes in the athletic complex. So I was in a different environment and then I was going to my classes and then, you know, I was teaching classes and I just had a, a very dynamic schedule. So yeah, there were a lot of hours I put in, but it wasn't in one weight room or in one area, I was able to kind of change my environment, which kind of sparked a little bit of energy throughout my day. So, but again, I, I, I knew that was temporary. I was like, this is what my life is going to be like for the next year. And I'm just going to do it and get every bit out of it. And I did, it was the most fantastic learning experience, but I totally would not go back to that daily schedule. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that there's a little bit of like an end date mm -hmm. makes it easier to get through. If you somehow that was going to be the next 15 years for you, like you, nobody would last in that. Right. But I want, I want to come back to this idea of like changing environments in a second, especially in relation to working from home. But one thing I did want to ask you about, you know, going through that year, uh, at coaching at Laurier like that before doing your masters, which was in more coaching and programming stuff. Do you think that it was better that you had like, you know, you stepped into the fire first and then got that even extra education? Like, would it have been less effective if it happened in the reverse order? I love that question because I absolutely think I needed that time to be experiencing things to better understand the theories and the concepts that were discussed in my master's. Right. So I always thought my journey was going to be super linear. It was like high school, university, graduate program, assistant coaching job, head coaching job. Like I, that's, I thought it was going to be this nice, pretty staircase that I walked up and instead it was like, just the biggest zigzag and the <laughs> biggest kind of like rolling waves. And I was a head strength coach and then went back to school and then got an assistant role at York. So my, my journey was kind of a little up and down, but I am so grateful for that because 
as I mentioned, when I went and did my master's, I was actually able to think, oh yeah, I've been in a situation where I was leading different personality types. And this is maybe how I could have executed things better, but I had something to relate it to. So it made it really easy for me to learn. And honestly, I've always been the type of learner that just throw me in, just put me, I'm going to just jump head first. It's happened in, excuse me, even at a couple different training facilities I worked at, I was hired on as an assistant. And within two weeks, they were like, oh no, here's your own group. You're a fast learner. And I'm like, okay. And it almost just doesn't give me time to overthink it. So then I just kind of jumped in, was like, I'll learn as I go. So that to me was actually really important. And I'm really happy that it worked out that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because so much of what we do as coaches is not it's not theoretical. Like you just learn by doing things. And so, yes, we need to know like all the background science and, and the psychological stuff and and everything that's involved, but none of that stuff matters in a textbook. Like when you have a real human in front of you or, or a group of humans as a team, they are not what's written in the textbook. So you've got to be able to adapt and like figure that out on, on the fly. So we need, we need both, but almost the practical learning is, is more important, I think, than the, than the theoretical learning from a book. Yeah. And I think if there's anyone listening, that's kind of interested in pursuing a career in strength and conditioning or personal training, I think it is really important that you do spend time. I'm going to use this cliche again, quote unquote, in the trenches, because you learn so much about different types of people, how they learn, how they receive communication, how they receive feedback. And those are things that you can't get if you're strictly coaching people online, like just programming for them. And you might have a couple exchange of some messages. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but I just think the reason that I'm able to do what I do now is because I have such extensive experience working with so many different people and so many different demographics. And I hear a lot in strength and conditioning. A lot of people are like, I want to work with the most elite athletes. And I'm like, well, guess what? Working with the most elite athletes actually isn't as fun as working with the like first year rookie athlete or the the first the first timer in the gym. Because when you work with an elite athlete, a lot of them have really good mechanics. They move really well. They don't need a ton of motivation. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I still love working with elite athletes. It's, it's great, but it's almost more beneficial to my coaching if I'm working with someone that actually needs more instruction and actually needs more coaching. And those demographics and populations teach me so much that I wouldn't learn if I was just working with the best of the best. So even if you have a niche and you have a demographic that you're like, this is what I specialize in, don't shy away from other people that approach you that might be in a different category because they could teach you so much that will only make you better for the people that are in your niche. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And it's almost when you're getting started, you can't really know what your niche is or like section that off because first of all, it's like a, it's already a struggle enough to like find clients. If you nail, if you, if you narrow that down too much, you're not just, you're just economically not going to be viable, but then Mm -hmm. you're going to learn so much less. Like you're going to, like you said, you're going to learn way more from the elderly woman who's stepping in the gym for the first time ever. And for the, for the 14 year old boy who's never worked out or never played a sport in his life, Mm -hmm. than you are from the, you know, 25 to 30 year old male or female who has no injuries and has, you know, been a athlete previously in life. Like that's a pretty easy client. And that sounds like fun and and it would be a ton of fun to train that person, but there's way less learning that's going to happen because it's so easy. Yeah. And I just think when you work with demographics and I mean, a perfect example is working with people virtually, 
it's it's interesting because part of my demographic is retired athletes, athletes in sport, athletes in life. A lot of the retired athletes I currently work with are 65 plus. And I don't really know how it happened that all of a sudden I have all these, you know, individuals that are in that kind of age range, but it has been so refreshing and has really kind of challenged me. I, I work with them virtually. So like using their space, using their environment, they don't have a ton of weights. They don't have a ton of equipment. So what can we utilize? And it's only made me a more impactful coach for my high performance athletes, because I'm able to think a little bit quicker on my feet. I'm able to adapt to different situations. And so, yeah, I'm, I, it's just something that I always want to make a point of sharing is don't shy away from the people that aren't, you know, quote unquote, in your demographic, because there's so much that can be offered. And probably in some capacity, they are a part of your niche, maybe just not like that kind of stereotypical individual that kind of represents it. But I, I don't know, I, I think that's just something because we hear so much, it's like, find your niche and find your people. And yeah, totally. But also don't shy away from other challenges because they're going to offer you a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. And and maybe just one caveat we should make is like, if you are new or, or even if you're experienced and someone comes in with something that you totally don't know, uh, some crazy injury or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, an eating disorder, something like that. And if you really can't like, it's okay to say, I don't know, or I can't help you, but I can find somebody who can help you. Like, that is totally okay and, like, very good, and people will thank you for that, and it will benefit your career. So just to put that just to put that asterisk on all of this. Yes, 1,000%. I'm so happy you brought that up. And I think one of the most empowering things that you can do is say, I don't know, or this isn't my wheelhouse. And I think the beauty of the coaching and the training world is – we really have the opportunity to build a fantastic network of individuals. And I, I really do believe that if you outsource someone or, or recommend them to someone else, it's just opening up space for someone that's better suited to you. So it can be, especially early on, kind of like, well, like this is one of the only clients that's approached me, like I should work with them. But if you're, if you're not properly equipped for a, a very kind of specialty issue or problem, it is really important that you get them in the right hand. So I'm, I'm so, so happy you brought that up. Yeah. The, the first thing is to do no harm. So if you, if you can't adhere yeah. to that, then, then don't do anything yeah. else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you went through with transitioning from being an athlete to a coach and then from, from a coach in high performance to a coach to all people outside of the specifics to sport, because that is quite a transition and it's difficult for many people. And it's more difficult to the higher level of sport one reaches. Um, but we all go through that, you know, whatever level of sport we reach. So what were some of the things that kind of, you know, happened for you in that transition? I really, really struggled with losing my athlete identity. Like there, I'm, there's no way to sugarcoat it. And, mm -hmm. you know, if there are any athletes listening, I'm, I'm sure that they can agree it's challenging, especially when so much of your life has been consumed by that activity. Even just from a time management perspective, you're so used to having things in your calendar, places that you need to be, um, you know, so punctual with those things. And then all of a sudden, all of that's eliminated. And it's kind of almost daunting to have so much blank space. I feel like after, you know, my final season, I remember for like a week, I was like, this is amazing. I have so much time to like hang out with my friends and do all these things. And then after a week, I'm like, oh no, this is not good. Like I got to find something to fill my time. And I think strength and conditioning came into play at a great time because I was able to kind of still be a part of that 
athlete population and still contribute to sports in some way, which was my ultimate goal. Even in high school, I was like, I want to be involved in sports in some capacity. I think where I went wrong and not wrong, but I think where, where, when I reflect back, I could have done things differently is instead of attaching myself to being an athlete, I attached it to the role as a coach. And, you know, it, I didn't allow myself to just be Elena without any titles mm. and, you know, without being Elena, the strength coach or Elena, the basketball player. And so I, I did go through a period of time where I was honestly very confused with like my identity. Like who was I outside of sport? Who was I outside of my coaching? Like, was I even fun to be around? Like, what, am I a good human? Like, and, and these thoughts, you know, all came up and, you know, it led me to kind of isolate myself a little bit. It was actually during my master's and, you know, I'm in some ways happy. I went through that because I think I needed that time to kind of figure things out. Um, but I, I, I'm so grateful that now I'm on the other side of it. And yes, I totally like, I love my role as a coach. I love my role as an educator, as an entrepreneur, but I know that I, as a human am so much more than my titles. And I think, once I started to really take ownership of my strengths and who I was as a person, I, I think early on in strength and conditioning, I, I felt like I needed to fit a certain mold in order to be successful. And it wasn't until that I'm quote unquote found myself and kind of figured out who I was as a person that I started taking ownership of the things that I was good at and the things that made me unique and made me me and actually made me a better coach because I wasn't trying to sound like, or be like all the other coaches. So I, it was definitely messy. It definitely wasn't always enjoyable. And anyone that is kind of going through that is like, don't be afraid to lean on your support system. Cause like I said, I kind of like isolated myself and it probably did the opposite of what I wanted to do. But at the same time, it gave me that time and space to figure things out before approaching my support system being like, okay, I, I need some help. Like I, I need to get out of this funk. Right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because that's not that's not an easy thing to share and not an easy thing to to admit, but extremely common at, at all levels of sport. I know basically every athlete that I know and have spoken to has gone through the same thing and, and myself as well to a degree. Um, but yeah, it's we, we identify as the thing that we do, not as like the person that we are. And that is a huge, yeah. a huge distinction. Like you said, you are not just an athlete, just a coach, just a whatever title, you are also just Elena and, and Elena can be whatever she wants to be. And so, and so, but realizing that is, is very difficult, right? Yeah. And that's something I've, I think I've tried to kind of do a little bit more on social media. Like I take a lot of pride in being exactly who I am online than, you know, that I am in person. And that authenticity piece is really important to me, but you know, sometimes I feel like I, I don't know, sometimes I shy away from like sharing some of my quirks or some of the things that aren't like just about training and coaching because it, it actually, it kind of hit me around the wedding because I thought, oh my gosh, like I, it, people on training to excel don't need to be like seeing my wedding pictures, but so many people were like, oh my gosh, how was it like show pictures? But I'm like, is this like, will people look at this being like, oh, this isn't why I follow her. And I almost had a little bit of like an identity crisis and I had to kind of remind myself of like, I'm a human being and, and training to Excel is currently still a one human show. So training to Excel is me. I am training to Excel. Like I, I represent the company, I represent the brand. And so it, it's important that people know there, there are things to me outside of the weight room. And I always try to provide value and I always try to provide educational things, but 
I think sometimes I shy away from sharing things that I want to share because I feel like, oh, that wouldn't be valuable or that that's not educational. And it's, I actually had this conversation this morning with someone and I just thought, you know, I have a lot of stories that I actually really like to share. And perhaps it's okay that I, I share these stories because I think it will resonate with, with people in my community. So I'm not even sure if I kind of am continuing the right conversation or if I'm just going off on a tangent, but <laughs> yeah, no we ones. always have to kind of like check ourselves a little bit too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the social media thing is interesting because I, I certainly go through the same thing myself. Um, but I think it, it, it always works to, to our advantage and, and not that it's like a game of winning and losing and advantages and whatever, but it's like, it's, it's more relatable when you can seem like a real person rather than just the person who like eats chicken and broccoli and exercises and goes to bed at 9 PM and like wakes up at 6 AM. And like, that's not, that's not relatable because that's not what people are. And so that almost seems like it, it makes it more intimidating. So when you can show that you're going out for a walk and, and grabbing a cookie or, or a, having a pizza and getting married and doing like normal people activities. It's like, oh yeah, we can like do all the exercise and all the eating healthy. We can do all that stuff and still be a normal person as well. Like these things are not uh, exclusive of each other. So, but, but it is, it, sometimes it's hard because you don't want to share like too much and you don't want to go like so far down that quote unquote, like influencer rabbit hole of like, look at my skin routine and my hair routine yeah. and my like, it's like, okay, okay. Like enough of that. But like, yeah. but you know, uh, the, the day-to-day things and just your general thoughts, I think that that is hugely helpful for people in, in my opinion. Anyways, I, I know that I've had a good response to those things and I'm sure that you have as well. Yeah, I, I do find, um, I, I lost my dad just over four years ago and I do find whenever I, and I'm an open book, like I'm, I'm not shy in, in talking about it. And whenever I do post about it, I always get a lot of individuals that are going through the same feelings of grief. And I think it's a really kind of beautiful way of just reminding people that we're not alone in our struggles. And I think that is a wonderful thing about social media. And I actually love what you you talked about with the Bell Let's Talk because you're absolutely right. And they just are collecting money and it's all like brand awareness. But, <laughs> and, and something I've, I've made note of saying each and every year with it is I was like, but let's like continue this conversation. Like, yeah. yes, it, yes, in a lot of ways, it is great that it is more of a conversation, but it's like, I'm going to continue talking about like my therapy appointments because I think it's important. And like, you know, I, I don't always open up about my mental health struggles. I think there is just like a, a privacy thing, right? Like, you know, as you said, there's, there's certain kind of boundaries you want to set, but I also, yeah, I want people to know me and, and not just the strength coach and not just the person that works out. And I am that person that goes to bed at nine and wakes up at five, but it's just how I operate. Like I've, I've just always been a morning person. So I'm trying to get better at like, I'm notorious for like blaring music in my office. And like, I'm, I'm really good at remembering song lyrics. Like I could listen to a song twice and like know the full chorus <laughs> and Ryan laughs at me about it, but I've just gotten better at like showing that kind of more goofier side of me that I'm just like, this is actually what I do when I'm doing work. And it actually makes me more productive to like belt out and like lip sync these songs and it's it's pretty funny because at first I was like oh this probably looks so stupid but then I'm like but this is me like this is actually what I'm doing and when I post it people are like this is amazing I do the same thing and I'm like you know what there's other people that do office karaoke too so maybe it's important (laughs) I share this stuff yeah exactly it's it's also way easier to just be like ourselves 
than it is to try and like put on this face of like trying to be like this perfect like thing. And and if you are this like perfect epitome of health, I think there's like very few people who embody that. But if you are, then then also like do that thing and be that and like go super hard on that. But if you're not like you don't have to pretend to be that. I've, I've never pretended to be that. Uh, but at the same time, I also don't pretend to have like the same struggles as some other people. For example, like getting a workout in is not a drag to me. I don't dread like going to the gym and working hard. It's not something that I have to like jack myself up to do. Of course, there are some days, you know, here and there, but generally like I look very much, I very much look forward to doing that as frequently as I do. And so, so it's important to understand that someone else's struggles or someone else's things are not the same as, as ours or yours and anyone looking at anything on social media, like look at those things and then apply it to your own life. Don't try and copy people because again, just be you. Yeah. Um, actually going back to like early on in my strength and conditioning journey, I found that at one point I definitely think I was trying to like emulate people that I really admired in the strength and conditioning field, because I thought that was the mold I had to fit into in order to be successful. And so, and it's so interesting because now I teach a course on like how to better communicate and cue different movement patterns. And it was something that, you know, I have, I'd like to think I have kind of a natural strength with, with communication and with the cueing piece. I, I don't know how my brain does it, but I just, I have a lot of kind of like analogies and things that just kind of pop into my head in more of the like external language component. And I felt like when I first started, I thought. I always had to talk as if I'm talking to a peer. So I was like trying to use anatomically correct positions and sound really smart when I was talking and always try to like make up an answer if someone asked a question, even if I didn't know the answer. And it got to a point when like that became exhausting. I was like, I don't want to yell at people. Like I, I want to have a good relationship with the people that I work with. Like I don't want to sound like a walking textbook because no one's listening to me. And so when I it was actually when I went and did my master's and I was surrounded by some really fantastic coaches that really celebrated every coach's unique strengths is when I really started to be like, Oh, I could be myself and be successful. So all of a sudden I started using more external cues and then we started to get more buy-in from the athletes. And I started developing these really great connections with the athletes that I worked with. And it just made it more enjoyable because I was being me and I wasn't afraid to like be quirky or say the cue that, you know, when I say pinch a hundred dollar bill between your butt cheeks and people giggle, well, like, guess what? They're probably going to remember that. And it's probably going to get them to do the thing we want them to do as opposed to me being like, okay, activate your glutes. Like, (laughs) sorry, but like how many people actually care like what they're activating? I mean, they they care that they're doing it correctly, but like a lot of times people are like, I know what my glutes are. So I'm just going to do it until they tell me to do something else. So I think it was like when I took ownership of who I was as a person. And I think one of the most pivotal moments for me was I was in the gym with, um, one of my hockey players and he asked me a question and right as I was about to like, kind of try to walk my way through an answer, I was like, you know what, actually, I don't know. I'll, I'll look that up and, and we could chat about it tomorrow. And it was so empowering to be like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Or like, it depends. There's, you know, uh, I I don't know if I could speak to that. Like, I I don't know enough about it. Like that is the best feeling in the world. It's the best feeling to be like, I don't know everything. Yeah. Sometimes I find, you know, people are always looking for like definitive answers or they ask questions in absolutes. Should I always do this or should I never do this? And it's like, well, the answer is, is, is almost never 
yes or no in those scenarios. It's like, well, it depends. Should you eat, you know, so-and-so food for breakfast? I don't know. That depends on like everything else in your life. I, I don't know. And, and if you ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer. So should I always do squats at the beginning of my workout? Like, I don't know. It depends on everything else that's going on like in your training and in your life. And so it would be it would be great if we could answer like in absolutes and know the answer to every question, but getting that buy-in from people is, is, is also part of educating. And I think that you do that very well is, is educating people and how to think about things because that's the most important part. Like not everyone's going to have a coach access to a coach their, their entire life. And, you know, for, for various reasons. And, you know, sometimes you just got to do it. You got to get it done on yourself by yourself. So you need to learn how to like think for yourself. And that, that is perhaps the hardest thing to do. Uh, but but also the most important thing that we, we need to do in training, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I like what you said, how, you know, it, it's a privilege to be able to hire a coach. Like I know I'm not cheap and, and, you know, I, I value my time in a particular way and I'm not for everyone and that's okay. But that's why, you know, when it comes to providing value and education and resources, like I try to give people as, as much as they can, but also always recognizing that there's another way to think about things. So very often, like in those videos that I'm filming for my course, I very often say like, this is one way to do it, or this is like one perspective to, to look at because, you know, especially when I'm doing videos on like programming, like we both know the the vast world of programming and it's hard to be like, to speak in absolutes. And I actually find it kind of triggering when people are like, you shouldn't do this or like, don't do this, or you shouldn't do this exercise. And I'm like, you know, like, as you said, my favorite answer is it depends because guess what? It does depend on a lot of different things. So to speak in absolutes, I think we're doing people a disservice when we do that. Yeah, I agree. There's, there, there's so many factors that, that go into it. And it's, it's almost like a lazy answer to just say yes or no to those kind of things because, and, and social media is partly to blame on this because, you know, like we were speaking about before we started recording, it's like, you got 15 seconds. You don't have time to like go into the nuances of all these things about this scenario, this scenario, you, you just got to give a yes or no. And that causes more problems than, than it solves at times. But, you know, that's just a part of communication. And this is why, you know, we do things like podcasts where we can, where we can get into the nitty gritty of those things uh, to, to give all the nuance that's, that's available. So, and through your courses and the things that you, that you speak about on Instagram, like you you go into detail on things and, and it's more important for people to <laughs> tune into those things than just like the, the, the hit pieces of like, always do this exercise. Like if you see something online, I think that says like, always do this or never do this, just scroll past it. It's probably nonsense. Yeah. I, a friend of mine actually posted the other day about how a physiotherapist said that no one should be deadlifting. And I thought, okay. Hmm. <laughs> and everything she kind of recapped it herself and we had kind of a good chat because again maybe deadlifting isn't for everyone like I'm well yeah. aware that it's it's actually maybe not appropriate for some people but it's the same with a squat and the same with a push-up and the same with kale like it's not appropriate <laughs> for everyone but to put out such a blanket statement and especially I think when it comes from really well-educated people when you speak in absolutes people that aren't in our field and, and don't understand the physiology and the anatomy like we do, we'll look at that and take it as the the holy grail of advice. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm not deadlifting. I'm like, deadlifting is one of the most transferable movement patterns to our everyday life. Do you have to deadlift with a barbell? Absolutely not. But there are other ways to do that hinging movement pattern safely and efficiently. And I think it's, it's, that's one of those, like they, those, what do they call? I feel like Gen Z has come up with a word like the ick or something like that's one of those, like 
icky things that <clears throat> I just think, oh, there's so many people that are reading that article being like, well, I'm never going to deadlift again. And yeah, it's or, like, well, you do that when you pick up a box off the ground. So exactly. Or, or worse than that is that they're not reading the article and, and only the headline. And so they, they don't have to think. They said, oh, so-and-so on, on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever said never deadlift, so I'll just shut my brain off and never deadlift again. It's like, well, well, why? Why should you never deadlift again? Maybe you should and maybe you should. But I think that's the more dangerous part of these absolutes is that it, it removes thinking from the equation and it just creates answers to, to things or, or creates solutions to things that aren't problems and then <laughs> then therefore creates another problem after that. Yeah. I think when it comes to social media, what I try to encourage is like, just look at things with a critical eye. Like, are, are you looking at a page because you like the aesthetic and they look the part or are they delivering like really kind of well-educated information? And, you know, I, I remember at one point I, I wasn't overly concerned with the aesthetic, but like, you know, if I was filming a video, it's like, I'd make sure nothing was in the background. Everybody, everything was super neat. And then I got to a point, I was like, you know what? I'm a really sweaty individual. My, I don't wear matching sets. Like my outfit, <laughs> sometimes like I'm wearing high socks and like a baggy shirt. Like I don't always look the best, but you know what? If I could teach someone something with this movement that I'm showing, I'm doing my job. And, you know, I, it, I, I think on social media, I just really try to focus on like staying in my lane. And I, I just try to remember that like what I share is always going to come from a really kind of educated place. And when I start to get kind of fired up about things I see, I just say, you know what, they're doing it their own way and that's fine. And I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. If we, if we spent all day trying to like, uh, what's the word demystify, not demystify, whatever, whatever the word is debunk, debunk, that's sort of yes, word. debunk, yeah. like all these like nonsense things. We would just spend 24 hours a day on Instagram getting mad about stuff. And it's like, well, that's one strategy, I guess, but you can also <laughs> yeah. just contribute to like more of the good information. And and I certainly get caught in the trap as well. Like I'll see some stuff and get like super angry. I saw something the other day that just like rattled me with a guy saying like, oh, you know, this person was like super overweight. And then the doctor was telling him, you don't have excess body fat. You're just full of water. And it's like, well, I don't think that that's possible. Like I, that doesn't make any sense physiologically, but like this is a doctor saying this, right? So Anyways, but you know, we can get, we can get very deep down that rabbit hole of like get, getting super fired up about stuff, but it's not really helpful as, or it's not as mm -hmm. helpful as like just putting out good information and, and saying our piece to, to contribute to everything that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think like we kind of mentioned this before we hit record, but it's like, you know, sometimes it feels good to go on a little rant. Cause like, sometimes it is important for people to like you know, not that there's always right and wrong, but sometimes it's like, there are certain situations where it's like, that's actually really bad information. And that's actually right. going to really hurt someone or cause someone harm. But again, it's like, I'd rather just put that energy into developing something that will help educate on that better. But as, as we just mentioned, it all is kind of context dependent and dependent on the individual. So when I speak about things and if I'm offering some information, I always try to make a note of saying like, this isn't an exhaustive list. Like I'm just sharing from my perspective. Like there are many ways to get to the same outcome. Like I say these things repeatedly for a reason, partly because I just don't have any interest in like fighting with people on the internet. So it's like, if someone disagrees, it's like, great. I even said like, there are many different ways to do this, but it, it's also just like, that's not where I want to spend my energy. I'd rather spend it on, you know, creating a video that maybe could help teach that topic in a better way. I totally agree. One one thing I saw recently that I found hilarious was that 
you know, one, it said something that something to the effect of one thing that's never happened in the history of the internet is two people disagreeing with each other in the comments. And then one of them admitting they were wrong. <laughs> like never have I seen that. Never have <laughs> never. I seen they that. They just argue forever. And then eventually someone blocks someone. And, and then that's the end of that. <laughs> Honestly. And I see that so much. A lot of people will post kind of threads on TikTok. And I'm not on TikTok. I have chose very intentionally to not be on TikTok. First of all, for like attention span. And yeah. second of all, I just feel like it's a bit more savage than Instagram. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in putting my energy there because I know like I am a person that's really open and receptive to feedback, but I want it to be coming from a good place and a place of someone that actually like gets what I'm talking about. Whereas like, I feel like on TikTok, you have keyboard warriors that are just like, I don't like the way you look. And it's like sick, man. Like I, <laughs> you don't need to, that's fine. Yeah. So I just like, that's something that I'm like, you know what? I'll just, that's not for me. And that's yeah, okay. I, I agree. I think, I think TikTok is just a, a different audience, a different type of platform. And so it's conducive to that stuff. And it's a little bit silly, but, but yeah. you know, all this comes back to like, just being a human, right? Like speaking to humans in front of you. We're not, yes, we talk to like a screen, like right now, like I'm speaking to you, I can see yeah. you, but I'm speaking to a screen. It's not really the same yeah. as if we were in the same room with each other, or if we were in the same room, you know, having this conversation in front of a live audience of people, it would be different. But you have to always kind of remember that, like we are speaking to people and these are humans that were, that were influencing for lack of a better word than rather than just, you know, textbooks and keyboards, right? Yeah. And that's something that, again, this came up in conversation very recently. So it's, it's, you know, very timely that all these things are kind of coming up, but there's so much that I learned from both my mom and my dad growing up about connecting with people and about communicating with people that I just find so interesting that like, it's not spoken about in any certifications and any courses and any mm. textbooks in the classroom. It's things that like, yeah, we, we learn by communicating with people, but there's so much that can make us, especially in coaching, make us more effective as a coach. If we, if we come back to like, yes, of course, it's important to put together a comprehensive strength training program. And we want to make sure that things, you know, are very intentionally placed. But if you don't connect with the individual that you're writing that program for, you might not have them adhere to that program. So if they don't adhere to the program, then it's just a piece of paper. So it's like, we so often kind of skip over the things that I think a lot of us just assume are kind of like, well, well, I know how to talk. So therefore I know how to communicate, but there's actually so much more that goes into communication. And there's so much more that goes into connecting with an individual that is just overlooked. And I, and, and that's essentially why I built the the courses and the education that I have, because I'm very fortunate to have been brought up in an environment where my mom very often from a young age, we would sit there and quote unquote people watch. And she would say, how do you think that person's feeling? You know, Mm -hmm. just by the way they're standing, how do you think they're feeling? And it it really made me more in tune with that kind of nonverbal communication I would watch my dad when he coached on the sidelines and how he, he really made eye contact when, when his athletes were speaking to him, or he made sure to make eye contact with all of them. If they were in a huddle, it's like little things like that, that no one talks about, but are, are so important. And I I'm sure you can, you know, put yourself in a situation, either you were on a team or you were being coached by someone or being led by someone. And there was something that was very impactful to you, or, or maybe there was something that you're like, that did not make me feel good. And it's like, when we have a space to actually reflect on those things, like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but I could talk about this stuff kind of all day because like 
in, in whatever industry you're in, you're working with humans. Right. Yet human behavior is like the last thing people think about. It's like, oh, well, I need to get better at programming. It's like, yeah, that that that's a great skill set to improve on. But like, who are you writing the programs for? Like, how how are you coaching the program? Like, if exactly. you don't build the trust, if you don't build the connection, like it, it's it's not it's not purposeful. Exactly. There there's a quote, and I'm I'm sure that you'll know it. It's they they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And that sums all that up perfectly. It's like you can have the perfect plan and it doesn't really matter. I think a, a great example at a high level of this is like Westside Barbell publishes all of their training logs and training methods and everything. It's like, here, this is what we do. This is why we're one of the best powerlifting gyms in the world. Here's what we do. But you can try and copy it. You won't You won't compete with us because it's the culture. It's the way that they do things, like the intangible things there. It's not the program and all this stuff. And for most people or most trainers who are training general population people, like we use a tenth of the programming knowledge that I know. Like, sure, I can write programs for elite athletes, but like that program is not going to help you know, a mother of three children who works out twice a week for, for 30 minutes. That, that That's not the same type of person. So it doesn't matter that if I learn more programming knowledge, not really going to help me with that client, but connecting with her on a human level is going to make the world of a difference. Yeah. I'm so happy you brought up that quote because that is the, in the introduction of my course, the first quote I bring up, it's, it's the basis of you know, that whole module. And a lot of, as I said, a lot of what I learned from my dad and he really made, he really let athletes know that he cared about them as humans. He, he cared about how they were doing in school. He cared about the things that were going on outside of football. And ultimately that helped them win football games. Because when my dad put a play together and said, here's the X's and O's of what we're going to execute on, they were like, they're nodding their head, soaking up every word he said, because they were like, he cares about me. And and I know that he's looking out for us and I'm going to follow what he put on paper. And I just, yeah, I, I just, I want that so badly to be part of the conversation. And we're starting to see it from people like Brett Bartholomew and Nick Winkleman and they're incredible resources. And, and I want to be you know, part of that group in helping facilitate these conversations and these discussions. And it's interesting because I, I have had a couple people that I've reached out to about my, about my queuing and programming clinic course. And they're like, oh, that just sounds like basic stuff. And then they take the course and they're like, oh, I never thought of these things. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I didn't promise I'm te- like, I'm not, I'm not claiming it's revolutionary. Like the first thing I say is like, nothing here is new. You've probably heard all of this before, but it's just having you shift your perspective of things a little bit to allow you to be more effective as a coach. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, exactly. yeah, it does. Exactly. <laughs> things don't have to be revolutionary, but the way that we that we receive them is. And it's probably more important now or over the past couple of years than really ever before as we lose so much communication through body language, through the ability to actually touch and see our, our athletes and our clients in person is that now everything is verbal or through a screen or, or written and that still forms a communication. We have to just make the best of it, right? So we have to, you know, me writing down squats, three sets of 10 reps, like that's, that's great, but like there's so much more that might have to happen for that, for that individual. And so, you know, learning how to communicate better is, is so much more important now. And this probably also translates to any aspect of life, but you know, neither of us have ever had 
corporate jobs, so we probably don't have you know too much insight in that life. But like, nope. I can't imagine that you know as much as Zoom is great and as much as email is great, like working in a meeting with your team in a boardroom where you're sitting down together, like you can probably get so much more done so much more quickly and effectively better communicate with each other rather than sending emails back and forth. You know, you might send six emails to get one point across that would have taken a 30 second conversation in person. Mm -hmm. I find the corporate world so interesting. And something I've tried to do in the last couple of years is invest some time in learning about different leadership styles and in different environments, because I think so much of leadership and coaching is transferable to every industry. So, you know, I am fortunate, you know, my husband works corporate and I listen to a lot of his calls and, and I like, I don't eavesdrop, but I kind of take in like how they approach things and And, you know, sometimes like there was a situation where he was sharing a frustration with me and I said, this is a perfect opportunity to get like, give some feedback. And I just kind of gave him an example of what he could say using the feedback sandwich of like positive, constructive, positive. And he looked at me and he was like, well, how did you like know how to do that? And I'm like, well, because (laughs) like, I mean, this is stuff that goes, that goes across like any industry that like. I I just, I think it's so interesting. I think there's a lot that we can learn from other industries. And that's something that I really like. Um, Brett Bartholomew, he discusses a lot. He was like, get outside strength and conditioning, like get outside, like go, go dive into the corporate world to tech startups, to like talk to different people. And I like that he's encouraging that because I feel like there's a lot of strength coaches that are like, "Mm, this is my happy place talking to everyone that talks like me and thinks like me and wears the same polo and khakis as I do. (laughs) And all of a sudden it's just like the same conversations and the same people. And that's a whole different topic of conversation because then like in all this continuing education and these clinics, it's all the same speakers. And I'm like, sorry, I don't want to listen to another middle-aged white man. I'm just going to be honest. Like I don't feel represented. I feel like there's a lot of communities that don't feel represented and it's because like everyone just loves to stay in this comfort zone whereas like if we start to branch out and learn from different people well and then bring it back to strength and conditioning like think of how incredible this industry could be if we if we opened it up a little bit yeah i totally agree and i think that our generation is sort of on the like we can make a huge change in strength and conditioning for this reason where generations previous to us and, and really no, no fault of their own. It's just the way things were and access to communication, not having the internet and all these things is it was, you learn from older strength coaches and you just repeated the same stuff over and over again. And the only people you spoke to were other strength coaches and all your friends were strength coaches. And only, the only thing you knew was in the gym and your athletes. And so it's like, well, how would you ever expand your thoughts and learn anything different. But now we have so much more access to, to, to technology to learn from other industries and like just open more open minds. And so anyone who's not tapping into that is is missing out and they're going to get left behind. Anyone who's trying to like just continue that old school mentality. And we now we even have this old school coaches moniker. Like that's that's almost like a negative and it kind of and it kind of is like no one wants to be the old school coach. So, you know, we have to tap into all these other things to, to improve the field and to improve ourselves overall. Yeah. And I mean, I think this like perfectly just loops back to what we were speaking about before about just being like true to ourselves, because the more that we stay true to ourselves and we, you know, we coach the way that feels right for us. And, you know, we show our unique qualities. Like these are the things that will start to give a little bit more like variance in our field. And, you know, we'll, we'll start to hear from different voices and people that have different perspectives and and not just the people that hold these massive titles that, again, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the coaches, but 
like I said, when I'm looking for continuing education and I'm looking at three different panels and you know, like 70% of them are all the same people. Like, sorry, I've heard these people speak for the last 12 years. Like you guys are awesome. Like you're very smart, but it's like, I want to hear from a new voice. Like I want to learn from someone else and hopefully I could be one of those voices one day. So I'm, I'm hoping I think you already are. I think you already are, we'll, you. but we'll only continue continue to grow in that. But, but this, this kind of circles back to, to something I wanted to, to come back to with the, the changing environments. And so I'm making mm-hmm. a little bit of a hard segue here, but changing in, <laughs> but changing environments. And so, you know, the, the story you were telling us from when you were in Ohio and, you know, you were in the gym, in the classroom teaching, in the classroom learning and changing environments, how it sort of reset your day. Nowadays, everyone's working from home and, you know, you wake up, you roll out of bed, you don't change out of your pajamas, you you take seven steps from your bed to your desk, you sit there for the rest of the day, maybe you make some dinner and then you never change your clothes, you never get dressed, you know, fix your hair, have a shower, you know, whatever, all the things. And then, you know, we feel like in this, we feel this weird funk. And so we don't have these changing environments anymore, but we have to create them. And you do an awesome job of like displaying this uh, on your Instagram. So I want to just, I want to give you the chance to just talk about like how you do that and how you structure that for yourself. I love this question because there's like two big ones. So I set a lot of boundaries around physical spaces and I live in a small uh, Toronto condo. So like we have, I'm very fortunate to have a den that I, that is my office. Um, but I set really hard boundaries around where I'm allowed to be productive and do work and where it's just for chilling. So our bedroom and our couch is like completely off limits for work for me at least. Um, but I allow myself to do work at the kitchen table and in my office. And that might sound like a bit aggressive, but like when you live in such a small space, what I was running into was if I was doing work on the couch then when I went to go chill on the couch, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should just bring my computer. And then all of a sudden I didn't have that separation. And there's been like a handful of times where I have done work in bed, but I told Ryan that I have to announce it. So I have to say like, I acknowledge that I'm going into an area that I don't generally do work in, but like, that's the only way I'm going to get this done. So like, it's just going to happen, but I have to like verbally, like say it out loud. That helps really create that separation. So the physical boundaries And then the second one is changing your clothes. It is, it makes such a difference. Something I've really tried to do today's a perfect example. I'm wearing jeans. I blow dried my hair. I put on some makeup. I'm not doing, I don't have anything in person today, but it just, it makes me feel ready for the day. So I take that time in the morning to just dedicate some time to that self-care. And then at the end of the day, when I'm done my calls, when I'm done my work, I change clothes. And even on the days where like I'm working in sweatpants, I change and put on a different pair of sweatpants and it seems crazy, but it is such a good way to set that boundary and to physically have something to be like, it's the end of the day. So then when I leave my office, I go into the bedroom, I put on a matching tracksuit or a, you know, a, a cozy outfit, and then I can go to the couch. I can, you know, then all of a sudden I'm in chill mode. And at first, when I started doing it, we were in an even smaller space and I was like, is this even going to make a difference? And then it was like, I looked forward to that because the second I changed my clothes, I was like, okay, like, what are we watching? Like, what are we (laughs) making for dinner? And it was just, it totally changed my mood. So physical boundaries and also like the act of like creating some separation between like your normal life and your workday, I think is important. Yeah, totally agreed. And I think I would even highlight the, like the bedroom as one, just in relation to our sleep alone, like all the other things you said, 100% agree with and totally valid, but 
so many people struggle with sleep so hard, yet they do so many things in their bedroom. And I know that I'm a little bit of a hypocrite in this that like, and I've said this on the podcast before, but like I currently record, I record the podcast in my bedroom and sitting <laughs> on my bed right now. But that's only because like, this is just the best scenario for me with like sound and whatever. But, it, but there's like a whole setup of things behind here that no one can see. But what happens is as soon as I'm done this, I take all this stuff down, move it all out of the bedroom and nothing else happens in here. So I think that that's, that's hugely important. Now, some people, of course, for space, you know, maybe your desk is in, is in your bedroom, small Toronto condos, small big city condos, wherever you are. I get it, but still like be protective of that. Like don't, maybe don't sit on your bed, sit on your desk in the corner and that's your workspace. Like that can be okay as well. Uh, so, so yeah, totally, totally with you on that. And the changing of clothes is, is, is huge. I, I also agree with you on the, on the sweatpants. I have like my work sweatpants and then my chilling sweat, sweatpants and, and, but, but it does the same thing for me. It's like when I take those off and put the other ones on, it's like, okay, day, day's done. It's time to just like relax and do whatever else I'm going to do. Yeah. And some people like I I have heard, I think earlier on in the pandemic, people were like, if you live in a home, some people were like walking out their back door and would walk around their house and walk in the front door to like start their workday. And then they would do it in reverse at the end of the day. Interesting. And again, it like seems silly, but it's like, it's that physical act of like, I'm leaving the office. I'm, you know, I'm leaving my workspace. Now I'm, it's family time or it's home time. It's chill time. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think that that separation is so important. And I know you mentioned like sometimes people have their desk in their room. I work part time at Mac, so I speak a lot with the student athletes and that very much is is the situation. So they're taking their classes. And I just said, like, can you set up a space like not on your bed that allows you to like just be in a different area of the room or, you know, maybe it's like opening a window like your environment is so key that I think you know, taking that little extra step, maybe it's like getting yourself some flowers or like doing something, lighting the candle. Like, again, some of these things might seem silly, but it's like those small act, those small acts like really do add up over time. Yeah, totally agreed. It's, it's like about, it's almost about having routines for stuff. Like you have your, your pre-workout routine, your pre-game routine, your pre-work routine, your setup, you, you light the candle, you do, you know, whatever it is, you set your, your glass of water on the table, you put the book in this angle, like whatever the thing is for you, like, but have those routines and it helps you kind of stick to whatever it is you're doing, whether it be training or work or otherwise. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like my gym is in my kitchen. So like, as soon as we put the mat out, it's like, this is our training facility. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as we roll up the mat, it's like, this is our kitchen and we're going to exactly. make a pot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. But that's, but that's like enough of enough of a change, right? It's, 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 yeah. it's silly, but it's silly until you do it. So anyone listening, like don't, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a try and let us know. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I, I don't, this has been amazing Lane. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We're, we're running out a little bit here, but, um, tell everybody a little bit more, uh, about the queuing and programming course and kind of what's coming up next with that and where they can get in contact and all that information. Yeah. So that's kind of my next big project. And this year I'm actually only opening up registrations three times throughout the year. So the first one opens on February 6th. And it is five modules. I have both level one and level two. And we go through kind of refining the basics of your coaching, your communication, your queuing, your programming. Um, And so, you know, registration will be open on February 6th for 10 days. And then there'll be a live workshop at the end of March to kind of bring everyone together and, you know, make sure questions are answered and just connect with other people. 
It will be done virtually though, because I always want to be respectful of locations for everyone. Um, but the best way to reach me, honestly, is training the number two, the letter XL on Instagram. My email is Elena at training to excel.com. My website is training to excel.com. Everything's very kind of like streamlined. So if you type in training to excel to Google, I hopefully will be the first thing that pops up. I have a virtual open door policy. So if anyone listening has a question, um, feel free to you know slide into my DMs or slide into my inbox. I'm more than happy to have conversations. And if there is anyone interested in the queuing and programming clinic course, um, you know, you could hop yourself on the wait list. You'll get kind of first access to it and um would love to kind of connect with some like-minded humans. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll I'll put all those things in the in the show notes as well. I think this episode will come out close to February 6th, maybe the day after or so, but within that, within that time range. So it works out perfectly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's super exciting. And and I'm, I'm very excited to see all the things you've done and all the things that you will continue to do uh, as a good voice in, in this whole community. So we just, you know, all the good people we need to just stay, stick together and bring each other up, I think. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I know we align on so many things. So to hear that from someone that, you know, I obviously really respect and and know we kind of have the same wavelength. It, it means a lot. So thank you. And thank you so much for having me today. This has been great. Thank you. Yes, it has been great. Uh, I would love to do it again at some point and I appreciate your, your kind words as well. So we'll, um, I guess we'll cut it off there, but uh, thank you very much everybody for, for listening. I appreciate you all as well. Give Elena a follow on all the social media channels, training to Excel everywhere. And uh, again, everything will be in the show notes while you're at it. Give the podcast a rating and review on whatever uh, platform you listen to. Send this episode to a friend who needs to hear it. Give me a follow on Instagram as well at Daniel Yours. And that's it. Go out there, be a good person, connect with other good people and, uh, and do good things in the world. Take care.